Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the um, the second class that uh, introduces the uh, Vipassana structured study. Vipassana, as the Buddha uses the term, means introspective insight into the three marks of existence. This is the key theme of his Dhamma. Um, the the modern application of Vipassana, the modern Vipassana movement, um, uses the term in a way the Buddha never intended it, and they use it to describe. Um, a method that the Buddha never taught. That doesn't mean that uh, many millions of people don't follow it. It's just not something that the Buddha taught. Um, this very specific insight describes and brings knowledge to where there was once ignorance about what it actually means to be a human being in an always changing environment. Uh, I'm not going to read too much of the second half of this because you all did. I just want to touch on a few uh, aspects of the five clinging aggregates. Um, but this follows in the course. It follows from uh, we, we first learned uh, what jhana meditation is in the method. Uh, then we looked at the four foundations of mindfulness where the Buddha first teaches those four foundations of mindfulness that are to be applied in jhana meditation, and then what we are to hold in mind off of our cushion uh, through that ever-developing concentration. It takes concentration to actually practice the refined mindfulness that the Buddha taught, and that is to hold in mind the the uh, the four noble truths and the that fourth noble truth, the eightfold path, as a framework uh, and guidance for our Dhamma practice. And then we looked at the uh, the eightfold path, dividing it into its three um, natural themes of ever increasing uh, wisdom, ever increasing virtue, and ever increasing concentration. And it is through the um, the integration of those three aspects of the eightfold path that we're able to develop true Vipassana, introspective insight into the three marks of existence. And this um, uh, this quote, and I've taught this sutta often in sutta similar to this, um, this is about Vachagoda, and you'll remember that Vachagoda is a guy that came in and out of the Buddha's life um, through much of his teaching career, basically with the same questions about who he was, where he comes from, where does the Buddha go after he dies, and he'd ask all these all these um, esoteric questions that obviously don't have any answers in the human realm. But when you look at these closely, these are the things that modern Buddhism sought to answer uh, so as to provide a vehicle for a fabricated, confused self. In other words, when we when we try to find a magical, mystic, mystical, or speculative um, establishment of the self post physical life, that's exactly what we're doing, aren't we? We're just we're simply continuing eye making, and we're doing it in a way that is um, hidden by the fact that it's accepted by millions and millions of people. And another word for hidden would be a strategy to ignore our own ignorance. The Buddha realized how awful, how hateful that was, how painful that was. 
And he refused to do it, even to make people feel good. In fact, he knew that that was the essence of ignorance impacting other people's ignorance by mollifying it, by not, by not having the courage to stand up and say, wait a minute, that's not right. This is reality. And that's what the Buddha did. Excuse me. That's why you'll often hear me say he was, besides being the most radical thinker of all time, he was also, I think, the most courageous human being because he was willing to stand up to each and every human being of his time and say, you got it wrong. And he stuck to it and he actually changed things in the world. Not many people can actually say they've changed things in the world. Siddhartha Gautama did. So, Vajagoda would come in and out of the Buddha's life. He basically had these same questions, and I'll read a little bit from the book. Vajagoda had many questions about the nature of the cosmos, eternity, infinitude, the self and the soul, existence after death, and others. After he put these questions to the Buddha, the Buddha would always respond in this way. You are confused by your own questions. The phenomena you question is hard to understand and realize. This phenomena is tranquil and subtle and beyond discriminating thought. Discriminating thought in this way, in all ways, means a self-referential thought. You're discriminating that thought against the view that you hold of yourself in relation to the world. You're evaluating it. You're weighing it against a fabrication. And so because what you're evaluating this thought, word, or deed against is rooted in a fabrication, whatever it brings you, whatever type of understanding or peace or not, or aversion it brings you, is rooted in a fabrication. It's rooted in a wrong view of self in relation to the world. Is that clear to everyone? Say no if it's not, because I can't really see if you're shaking your head. Okay. So this really is, again, I'm emphasizing, this is the the key to the whole uh, Buddha's Dhamma. What am I? What does it mean to be a human being in relation to a world that I also don't understand at this point? Excuse me. And what kind of understanding does a Buddha bring to all phenomena? The understanding that all of it is phenomena. It's all impermanent and none of it is me. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. The Buddha continues that quote by this line. Realization only comes to those awakened, those who have gained full human maturity. I'm going to skip ahead uh, just a little bit. So the the five clinging aggregates, the Buddha uh, uses the the concept of five clinging aggregates to describe the ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering. Excuse me. So when you look at each of these disparate parts, you'll notice that when we cling them together, five clinging aggregates, and use them to describe a self, they work very well until we recognize this process and dismantle or remove the clinging to the, um, to the belief that each and every one of these constitutes a self. The, I'll read them quickly and then I'll go through them. Form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness. Now remember, it's not a, some grand cosmic consciousness. It's simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So a little bit more descriptive um, <laughs> description of this. Form, and the, the, uh, the, the Pali word is rupa. You heard me talk about nama rupa last week. The physical body and the physical domain. This included in the physical body are the senses and the thinking conditioned mind. 
The physical or, ph- or phenomenal domain is all that we perceive through contact with the senses. Any form is called the form aggregate. So anything in the, in the, in the physical world is an aspect of the form ag- aggregate, and even more so when we identify with things in the physical world that are inherently impersonal, but we make it so, whatever it might be, by saying, I like this, I don't like that. As soon as we make that, that value judgment, that discriminating thought about something, we have now attached ourselves, excuse me, to the object. So even something, say, uh, that is innocuous as, um, I think I used the, the uh, reference to a, a, an oak tree or a birch tree. I like oak trees, but I don't like birch trees. So if I'm walking in an oak forest, I'm very happy and pleased because I'm in my element. But if I find myself surrounded by birch trees, I'll be very upset because I'm not where I want to be. I'm using kind of a silly uh, example to make the point. There are people that would that would be upset being stuck in a birch forest as opposed to an oak forest. But we do that with all types of things. And the things that we judge as significant enough to make personal we excuse away the fact, ignore the fact that nothing is personal. Whether it's a car, a boat, a person, a dog, an idea. There's nothing personal in the world except that we make it so. And especially our own ideas. Those are the most subtle and difficult things to recognize are not me and are not mine. Why? Because I thought about it. The, the explanation continues. Feeling. Feeling is the experience reaction to mental or physical stimulus. When bound to form through perception, mental fabrications occur that further condition our consciousness. And that's just a process that we set in mind, rooted in ignorance, that continues. We're going to touch on the Nagara Sutta, I think it's next week, uh, where the Buddha describes being caught in this feedback loop. And it wasn't until he recognized this feedback loop and abandoned it was he able to awaken. And it's simply a feedback loop that is rooted in ignorance of our own Ignorance of Four Noble Truths that is caught in the feedback loop of our conditioned thinking. It keeps us bound to that fabricated view. Perception is the next aggregate. Perception are views formed by discriminating thoughts. Reaction to perceptions further integrates the perception and further conditions the mind. So you see, we're doing this to ourselves. It seems like um, to a mind that is rooted to ignore its own ignorance, mean, which also means not take responsibility for what it has decided is its reality, is the continuation of that ignorance, isn't it? Because I've created this fabrication, the great news is, if there's great news about the Buddha's Dhamma, is that because I created it, I can bring it to cessation. And because I created this fabrication, I'm the only one that can bring it to cessation. Faith alone is not going to do it. I can visualize as many zillions of Buddhas as I want going back into the past and up and into the future. That's not going to do anything to change my mind, is it? The only thing that's going to change my mind is understanding that I created this. Excuse me. And this is the brilliance of Siddhartha Gautama. He understood that a mind that is rooted in ignorance is prone to ignore its own ignorance. So how do you how do you pierce that veil of ignorance? How do you get through a mind that is prone to continue its own ignorance? Through an eightfold path. And that's why the Buddha taught an eightfold path. That's why paths that don't employ an eightfold path don't bring the awakening that Siddhartha Gautama taught. Why? Because it's simply a, the wrong path, the wrong view. It doesn't develop that. It doesn't have the elements necessary 
to break that, that conditioned thinking that's rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths that gives rise to fabrications. So, the next is mental fabrications. Uh, those, are, those are thought constructs that root out, that, are, that follow perceptions and conditioned thinking. And these now become held views. You could also describe mental fabrications as our ongoing mindfulness. Because, again, mindfulness means to recollect or hold in, hold in mind. Fabrications are what we're holding in mind as unawakened human beings. It's, it's the constructs that keep us rooted in ignorance. Uh, and consciousness is that which, which arises within form due to contact with the five sex, with the five other senses, senses that are rooted in ignorance. And again, when you look at it this clearly and this, this directly as the Buddha teaches, until we have developed a, a right view and understanding of who we are in relation to the world, every thought is a fabricated thought that if, if it goes unrecognized is only going to continue our ignorance. That doesn't mean we might function very well in the world. That's not the point. Excuse me. It doesn't mean that we're not going to function. We may not function. We may function very well in the world. That's not a harbinger or a benchmark of how well we understand ourselves, does it? Um, and I'm not going to make any reference to people in the public eye. We all know who they are. <laughs> uh, it. What determines our Dhamma practice is, in the Buddha's, the Buddha's word that he uses, ehepasiko. You have to come and see for yourself. And so we can, live a, we can live an entire life, as the Buddha describes, as like a living death when we continue to ignore our own ignorance. And many of us can do so happily, especially the, the more um, successful strategies we've all developed to ignore our own ignorance the happier we'll be. That doesn't mean that we're, we're living a human life, does it? And it, for most of us, eventually that will crash. Excuse me. Or at least there'll be um, things within ourselves that, that remind us that, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not really seeing this clearly. Despite this and despite that, there's something missing. And what's missing is understanding who and what we are in relation to the world we live in. That's what this particular study is about, this Vipassana structured study. Uh, I just want to check one more thing. So the conclusion of this is any aspect of consciousness is called the clinging consciousness. And it just means that that the that mind that we discussed last week, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, that as a requisite condition, gives rise to fabrications, and from those fabrications, all manner, as we learned last week, of stress and suffering is created by ourselves. We're the ones that are contributing to this. And so, by recognizing the vehicle that we use to maintain ignorance of Four Noble Truths, these five clinging aggregates, we're able to dismantle that. And how do we dismantle the five clinging aggregates? By continued Dhamma practicing, by recognizing that nothing here that I continue to, to use to, to validate me is not me. I'm not this form. I'm not my perceptions. I'm certainly not my fabrications. Um, I can, because of that mind rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, 
in, at, in this moment, I can't even use my feelings to figure out what's going on, can I? Because those feelings are being interpreted by a mind rooted in ignorance of reality. So what am I to do? What, <laughs> what am I to do? Develop the Four Noble Truths, because then I can interpret what's occurring based on reality. And by the way, what's occurring will be exactly the same thing that's occurring post-awakening as was occurring prior to awakening. What's the difference? I'm seeing things clearly. I'm seeing things through. I'm seeing things, the people and events of my life through two, through vipassana. That's how the Buddha described an awakened human being. A mind that is rooted in common peace, rooted in equanimity, through wisdom, through understanding. So it's a mind that is deeply compassionate because it has developed true wisdom. It's not a mind that is reactionary leading to compassion because that often leads to harm for oneself and for others. So that's my talk for today. Uh, I'm going to start down the bottom uh, with, who's that right there in the middle? With Mary. How are you, Mary? Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you, Mary. Um, I think I'm going to take noble silence. Thank you. I'm glad you joined today, Mary. How are you, Becky? Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> glad to be here. Thank you, John. Um, I think I'm going to take noble silence as well today. Wow. Just, just happy to be here and happy to be listening. I'm glad you joined. Thank you. Mateo, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Hi, everybody. Um, I, I was thinking like my experience when I, I went twice in a in a in a vipassana in a so-called vipassana retreat, <laughs> and, and I totally agree with you. When I had that experience, I was like, "Oh, what's the point to be in silence all day to 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 to, to get crazy?" Also, because you don't, it was very tough. Yeah. And, and about the five aggregates, I think probably the the, the key is self awareness to to recognize in our to acknowledge and recognize in, in every moment in our life when we are like passing through these aggregates and and of course abandon them. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's it for. <laughs> that, thank you, Matteo. That that is it, and it is just that simple: recognition and abandonment of these things that we created. That I. I've decided are me, but they're not me. And I decided that they're me based on a, a lack of, of information and a lack of knowledge. So thank you. Good morning, Jen. Hi, good morning. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, I think I'm just going to listen today as well. I can't believe I left you all speechless. So. <laughs> Rick, how are you? <laughs> You're going to hate this. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had uh, some digestive issues last night. Did not sleep well. My concentration's off, so um, I think I'm going to take noble silence. Plus, three other people did, and I want to be part of the in crowd. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Jan, welcome to uh, welcome back to our sangha. How are you this morning? Uh, oh, you're muted. There you are. There, I'm good. Uh, I found that. Um, yeah, I had some technical issues, and then I was a little distracted during the meditation. Um, 
I wasn't quite prepared to dive into meditating. So I also am happy to listen today. Well, I'm, I'm glad you joined us. Good to see you, you, Jan. Thank you. David, how are you? Good morning, everyone. Uh, it, it's interesting how, as your practice develops early on, these three defilements, it, it, it's easy to see other people's attachments and failings. And it's a delusion because it's keeping it away from addressing your own attachments. So, again, it's just a practice of right effort and becoming mindful. So you're aware that don't worry about your neighbor or your teacher sitting next to you. You know, the work is to be done and it's only can be done through right effort. And again, our our wonderful Sangha. So, uh, again, I look forward to the next teachings and thank you so much my pleasure david looks like brett wants to get back in yeah i get it david's pointing back to the experiential nature of the dhamma and and the only way the dhamma is developed is through direct experience of course you know we have a uh the, the way that we learn as human beings is mostly from other people first we take in their ideas and in this case we're taking in ideas in an awakened human being first taught 2600 years ago and they're still just as effective, provided we do that one thing. We, we, we actually develop them rather than um, as most um, religions are presented and most of modern Buddhism is presented that a lot of it at least is, is based on faith, that, it, that the, the most important component would be belief. Uh, the Buddha uh, didn't teach anything that should be taken on faith. He taught that we should only take things through our own experience, and that's that's where the power is. But that that is where the power is. It's very liberating to realize that it's up to me whether I awaken or not, not up to some vague idea that I can't really understand. Uh, it changes everything. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah. So again, this rolls all back into the three marks and the five aggregates are those entities that are things that establish and maintain the, for at least with, for my view, the ego, the self-referential views that, that result in ongoing suffering. Um, I understand what you were saying, David, but I would say too that, um, and at least for me, that part of the aggregates are feelings and there's a reactive nature to, to external stimulus, external things that happen. And so for me, at least as a, as, as a practitioner and a householder, being aware of other people and where their state of mind is kind of supports me not reacting uh, and not taking it personally. But I, I understand exactly what you mean, though. At, at the end of the day, it's an introspective practice and we need to take care of our own state of quality of mind. Yep. But when there's someone around me that's suffering or, or reacting, um, 
it's it's to me it's it's a it's nice to know for myself that it's not it's not I don't need to perceive it as internally as, as it's not has nothing to do with me so yep. that's where it kind of helps me but I, I agree with you on what you were saying that at the end of the day um, the ultimate concern is within uh, establishing that quality of mind through jhana meditation um, so we so we have yep. that awareness to Matteo's point of of these aggregates, uh, so we don't have that feedback loop and continue on. But it's a there's a lot there. I mean, it's this very very intertwining thing. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I could go on and on, but that's kind of what I got out of. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Really great insight, David. Do you want to say anything? Yeah, and again, the way I see it is early on. I think you get this little bit of wisdom and it almost becomes a party trick. Oh, that person's uh, eye making. And then as it deepens, I think that's what you're talking about is you are aware of that person in that, in that space and that you can react and, you know, it, it is a useful life tool. But then I think as we, deepen even more so it just becomes what you are you're Sarakuta where someone can sneak up on you and whack you on the head and of course there's no reaction because it it is not personal so it's a nice little timeline that you can see how that that develops yeah and it's um, thank you David thank you Tim the uh, you've heard me say this often that it, it's a human being's natural inclination to be caring and compassionate towards other human beings, uh, unless you're a true psychotic, and that is a very rare condition. That doesn't just mean antisocial. Um, so it's it's what we want to be all the time, except we can't all the time. Why not? Because of our minds rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So that becomes something that is hurtful towards us when we when we inherently want to act in a compassionate way, but something is stopping us in this moment. And it might be in a moment that I'm reacting in frustration or anger or clinging to a political belief, you know, and not giving people space. Um, We all do it until we get to the point where we're not taking whatever it is personally. And that's where the freedom and liberation arises within the Dhamma. It's in relation to our, our, our form, our feeling, our perceptions, our fabrications, and our, our feelings and our consciousness. It's through this, this exact vehicle that we experience either our own ignorance or when, they are, when the, the five clinging aggregates are no longer clinging together, we're, 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 we're having the actual human experience of true liberation and freedom, which is what everyone really wants. We just don't know how to get it. And, and you've heard me say over and over again, there's so much power in the Eightfold Path, and it's right here, right now. It's as the, we use the Eightfold Path to liberate us from our own ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And this is the practical experience of it, is we're not taking anything in life, including other people, people that have, might be very close to us, we don't take them personally, as David and Tim just described, because of understanding. That's so much different than letting something go because I'm just not going to, because I don't understand that I don't want to engage in it. I'll take it on faith. No, we understand the, the, the profundity of the human condition 
because we've experienced it ourselves. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, David. Hello, Ram. This this tendency of, of the of the human mind to second by second always choose the always pick the path to add to this this ego this self yeah to support the self I mean every second everything you do every turn you take. It always wants to go in that direction. Yep, that's stress. It takes, yeah, it takes you know the whole of the eightfold path to to get away from that. Um, and, and actually, sometimes starting with with right effort and right intention. Uh, it's it, even in in dharma practice. Even when you're on the path, it, you can yeah. get sidetracked and make it a two or threefold fast. It's real easy, and um, so to 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 stay true to to the dharma is uh, it's quite difficult. I, I can I can see how I've tripped myself up, uh, you know, over the years from time to time, thinking, ah, oh, I got it, I got it, you know, all I have to do is this, and then you know, a month later I realized, hey, you know what, that wasn't great. Uh, so, it's it's a whole path, and that's the only thing that will will uh, will finally break down this this completely baked in tendency to always take the point of view of the identity that we have. Yeah. Yeah. So th- thank you, Rob. Yeah, even the identity that I'm engaging in an effective Dharma practice right. is, a, is a fabrication unless it actually is the, what the Buddha taught. That doesn't mean that, you know, we can't, we can practice whatever we want, can't we? Uh, but what the Buddha, and the Buddha was clear about that too, do whatever you want. But come and see for yourself it's a, if it's actually effective, and and it also shows how yeah how almost natural it is that the dharma gets corrupted. It just yep. it, it's the same human tendency that that you know that happens. Uh, yeah, in mind that it happens in in the institutions. And and why did why does that occur? Because it's a it's a very powerful but very subtle strategy for continuing eye making within. A practice that ostensibly would would bring that to cessation. And right. you, you mentioned that it has to be an eightfold path. The um, the well, most meditation practices is taught from the point of view of the mind only or the yoga kara school, meaning that's all you need to do is to meditate, and it's meditation alone that develops awakening. Uh, that related in the vipassana retreats and. and Again, the Buddha never taught just meditation. He taught that as one aspect of an eightfold path. And I've taught enough people now to realize how potentially dangerous 
just the meditation practice can be. And I thought to say to everybody that just meditates has kind of developed deep psychosis. But I've seen it happen in enough people because if all you're doing is meditating and you don't have any outside structure to understand what's going on, you're only going to reinforce some pretty diluted views. And that can get to, to you know pretty hurtful levels. But that's not us. Um, <laughs> we practice jhana meditation. Uh, thank you, Ram. Thank you all. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, Tim. And that really becomes the the uh, the reason for our life is is to maintain that fabricated self. That's why life at times is very exhausting because it is exhausting maintaining a fabrication. Uh, but again, this is this is the brilliance of what Siddhartha Gautama realized. Uh, and you know, it's it's saying it's 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 as close as a nose on your face. That's why it's so difficult to see because what um what I'm working on and recognizing and abandoning is everything that I thought I was. And that's why initially practice can feel like annihilation. What's going to come of me when I let go of all these fabricated views? Well, what's going to become of you is an awakened human being. There's nothing lost and there is everything gained, although it seems like just the opposite, but that's just another subtle strategy, powerful strategy for the mind to continue to ignore its own ignorance is the, the desire to not go through this process. But of course, it's the only thing that works. You know that we know of anyway. Great discussion. Any any uh, any other questions or comments? Did we have Brett and Karen? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Hey, Brett, how are you? Good. How you doing? Sorry, I, I dropped off for a minute. That's all right. I died. I had to come back. Um. Uh, thanks for your teaching. I, I caught most of it. Uh, just in the beginning, where you're saying, you know, not, you know, if uh, I guess not taking things personally or, or the birch forest or tree forest uh not identifying with uh, you know not like you know not i guess establishing yourself in your view of that yeah um, i guess that's, yeah i always have a that that's where i find myself you know i guess the judgment and stuff like that it's a lot of lost i'm trying to put this good a lot of lost power a lot a lot of lost energy in there and uh when I can manage it, just I guess not judge it and, and 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 be be with the feelings when stuff like that comes up. Yeah, it 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 it's exhausting to maintain that fabricated view of self out in the world, and and you're really talking about the essence of letting that go. And yeah. you know what it comes down to is, you know, what difference does it make? What difference should it make to me? What you think of me? And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. Um, we we should be. You know, there's a balance to everything. We should be, on, in, in one level, cognizant that we're living in the world. So it would be inappropriate for me to, to, to come and teach this class in a... <sighs> it would be inappropriate of me to teach this class like this. <laughs> so I don't. <laughs> um, 
I did once. The, the the point is, it, it it there there's a there's a level of um, it, it just societal respect to 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 be a certain way. Um, not wear a chicken hat when you're teaching the Dhamma is you know unless you want to do it once in a while to get a laugh. That's okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that that we should. Um, that I need to wear my best suit and my best bling, so you so you know what a great meditation teacher I am. Because look, at, you, you understand what I'm saying? There's, yeah, things can fall into eye making rather quickly. Things can can fall into a situation where I'm only promoting these five clinging aggregates rather than simply living a life free of the effects of five clinging aggregates. And and that that really is a difference between an awakened human being and one who is still rooted in ignorance. It's like, hey, look, Bodhi, look. Look at all these dogs. Come here. Look. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, well, John, do you have two dogs, John? No. No, just got the... Bodie's been trimmed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just got a haircut the other, yesterday. Oh, okay. Didn't recognize He him. looks good, don't he? <laughs> he he got He got this from me. Hey, John. Great. Yes. Uh, we got uh, our friend Karen left. Uh, Karen, would you like to practice noble silence or would you like to say hello? I would like to practice noble silence. I just want to say thank you, everybody. It was really, really helpful to be here today. Thank so, you so much. So glad you could join us. Those that don't know, Karen is a director at WAN and we'll be seeing her soon on our on our retreat. So yeah, uh, the retreat reservations are open. If you're going and you know you're going, please sign up as soon as you can. It helps me uh, greatly. Um, and uh, I, I said that we're going to be opening up again in Frenchtown on uh, March 19th. That's not that's a lie. Uh, Mar- March the 20th. March 19th is a Friday. We're going to be opening up Saturday, March the 20th, and we're never going to lock down again. So there we go. Uh, I think that's all, all the announcements that we have. I'll put that in the email, and I'm going to send another email out just about the retreat. Uh, but again... To, Please join us. You know, it, it, there's there's no substitute for our retreat. So, uh, we'll finish with meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath. Unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on meta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness, and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, 
outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.